Welcome to Blockchain for the Billions, where we explore the Web3 landscape and the hotspots of mainstream adoption. Let's get into it. Emmanuel, so good to have you on today. Welcome back you know, to our audience, to the Blockchain for the Billions podcast. I'm your host, Danny. I'm an investor at Decasonic, a Web3 venture fund. And today on the podcast, we have one of our darling portfolio company CEOs, Emmanuel, to talk about Scenario AI and the future of generative AI as it comes to gaming. So Scenario, Emmanuel, thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So love to give everyone kind of a grounding where we start. Do you mind just starting out by telling us a little bit about your background and how you got into generative AI and the gaming ecosystem? Yeah, sure. Again, thanks for having me. My name is Emmanuel. People call me M. I live in San Francisco. I grew up in Paris. I've been a founder for 15 years. This scenario, which I founded a few years ago, is my second company, my second startup. The first one, uh, which I built about 12 years ago, was in drones. And I was helping people to uh, gather huge amount of data with these aerial robots so they can quickly survey and capture the world around them. I fell into generative AI and gaming specifically just because we started using our phones a few years ago to capture the environment around us. If you remember, in 2020, Apple released a laser, a LiDAR sensor on these phones, and we started like capturing the reality around us to create 3D models. These 3D models could be used as game assets, as like 3D models for games. And in 2021, or late 2022, I would say, this new generative AI wave arrived, and we at Scenario realized a new way to create these game assets would not be scanning, it would be prompting. And that was kind of a revelation which led to uh, what Scenario does today, make game assets via prompting. Right, yeah. And so let's dive into that. So how does Scenario work? What is the product? Scenario is a platform, I call it an engine, and we can discuss the, the wording here. It's a platform or an engine for any game studio, game creator, game artist to create game content, game assets using custom trained AI models. And that is very important. We believe that there is a, a new era of hyper personalization of AI models and people will end up creating their own models versus using the generic very large horizontal models like Midjourney or DALI, DALI 3, and so on. So how people use Scenario, they, they usually train their own models online by using the data they have, the art that they have. Once a model is trained, we call them generators. That model can generate a new art that is very consistent with the art or the input data that was used to train the model. And the huge benefit for this is you better control what the AI is going to generate. You remove the randomness and you get to the output you want much faster. So there is a huge productivity uh, benefit in addition to other benefits like IP, copyright compliance, and so on. That makes total sense. And does the product today, I know it focuses on text to 2D, but what is the scope of kind of like where you see scenario going? 2D was the first step for us. And um, the reason we started with 2D is obvious. It's the fastest and cheapest visual content that can be AI generated today. AI starts like we have the first models out there that can do videos and 3D models. But these outputs are not quite production ready yet. So as a company, we decided we would prove the concept by working on 2D images 
and have production ready assets that could go straight into the games. And we can discuss the, the benefit of building models within the games. What comes next, and it's a matter of months, is switching from still images to animated images, that is videos, and from still images to 3D models, which is 2D to 3D conversion. What comes next afterwards will be text or sounds and audio and voices. I mean, everything a game studio needs to create a game, literally. You know, it's, it's such a fascinating world to be in, right? Because the procedural generation has been around for a while. People have been using AI to create games. What is the excitement today? Like, what is your unlock? What's the revolution that we're seeing? Yeah, so it might look procedural versus generative might look the same. You create something new, right? That didn't exist before. Mm -hmm. But I would take an analogy and I would say the following. The, it's like procedural is like you're, you, you're using bricks. There might be a lot of bricks, but these bricks pre-exist for mm -hmm. the procedural word, the procedural whatever forest, whatever you know, level to be generated, to be made. With generative AI, none of these bricks pre-exist. They are live generated. And so like the diversity, the amount of output that you can make with generative AI is far greater than with procedural. Gotcha, gotcha. So if then AI kind of can create from scratch, from text, how do you view then the collaboration between AI and like the human creators, the artists today within the gaming industry? Like what roles will each play going forward? That's a big debate. Anybody on social media has seen the sometimes heated debates between AI enthusiasts and artists and even like writers, if you look at the recent Hollywood strike. Yeah. Yes, there's definitely something going on between on how human will use leverage AI. If I only speak, I mean, if I essentially focus on the gaming side, which is the market we target, right? I would say that 99%, and I'm not even exaggerating here, 99% of the game artists we speak with are extremely favorable, extremely interested, extremely enthusiastic about AI. They feel that AI is going to help them create faster. And they definitely look at AI as a tool, not as something that will replace them. That's the reality, actually, especially when they can train the AI to better fit with their own style, their own art, their own ideas. So the name of the game for, for Scenario as a company is to provide these artists all the tools they need to better teach the AI, to better guide the AI, and therefore to work better and faster. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because I know there's a lot of backlash. And, you know, if you're following on Twitter, there's a lot of people crying like, oh, you're trying to replace us. But it seems like the way you're describing it, it's like you'll still need artists to create the styles, to create kind of the visualizations for the games. But the unlock here is that once they've created a style, then you can have this engine that essentially can reproduce it and kind of bring it to scale. Is that how you see it? Yeah, you just said bring it to scale. And that's a great remark. Yes, AI can help you bring an idea to scale. Let's take just one example. A great artist has a great idea around a new character or a new concept or a new world. They might only be able to do maybe like 10 concepts over a week. I'm just saying as an example. But if that same artist is training an AI on that concept, they could maybe generate a hundred, a thousand different concepts that could then be shared within the studio with customers, with potential users. And then you would typically end up building your game much faster because the AI helps you to get to that level where you can decide which direction you're taking. Does it make sense? 
Yeah, completely. I mean, I think that's a great way of, of blowing down the ocean. So, you know, unpacking that a bit further, what are the challenges you're running into, either in user feedback or kind of the technical and non-technical hurdles of like creating this generative AI agent? Despite the huge excitement around AI, challenges, there are a lot of challenges. Yeah. So first, technical challenges are significant when it comes to image quality, image resolution, the fidelity of the style. Like there is a probabilistic element behind all these large language models. You can never predict in advance what a prompt, what a setting, what an inference is going to generate. So it's technically complex to understand how to build these inferences, uh, the set of parameters that are being used as input. Another technical challenge is um, everything around training. How do you train a new model? By the way, behind training, I must say fine-tuning is the right term. Training a new model is extremely expensive and might not be something we might do in the short term. Training a large language model can cost hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars. It's like DALI, you know, mid-journey, stable, stable diffusion, whichever version and so on. So we do fine-tuning. We take base models and we let users fine-tune these base models. And there are so many technical choices to pick from. So that's the technical side and there are many others. Oh, GPU cost, scaling with hundreds and thousands of users at the same time on one cloud infrastructure. UI, like how you make a non-expert user understand how to interact with the AI. It's, there's so many challenges. Yeah. Non-technical challenges are essentially around the legal aspects. It's brand new. Technically, it's been around for years, sure. But the use of generative AI at scale it started like a year ago with ChatGPT, uh, Midjourney, Stabilization 1.5. And yeah, there are some legal questions around IP, copyrights, and essentially like, can an AI be trained on any data? Or should the training data be your own IP? Otherwise, you might be off limits. Can AI art be copyrighted? Right now, the answer is no. Today, from the US Copyright Office, but we are seeing ways to make AI art copyrightable. How do you protect yourself against copy? How do you protect your art against like other people that might train AI on it? Right. I'm, I'm right. just questions, but I could I could spend more even no, more sure. uh, time. You let's let's break it down. It's a big question, right? And so I, I think the first part, just to get an understanding of like kind of the ecosystem and that first kind of technical layer, is like how do you you break down the ecosystem? Like where does scenario play in the like emerging stack that is enabling these tools? Moving stack, I would say, by the way. Uh, right. Moving stack with all, you know, funding, all the initiatives and so on. One way to look at that stack, if you look at all these different companies, you might think of a set of layers, which would start with the hardware, NVIDIAs and the likes. Then you have all the people doing the base models. It's the model layer. GPT-4 is a model. Stable Fusion, again, Llama from Meta is another model. These are like fairly, fairly expensive models to develop. I'm not sure any company out there will be able to do a model, at least in the short term. Then on top of it, you have what I call the data layer is typically people that would focus on gathering all the data, curating all the data to be trained and so on. And on the very top of it, the application layer. And if you look at the thousands of startups, I mean, that popped up in the past few months, they are essentially on the application layer. Some people just use an API, the OpenAI API, the Stability API, and so on. And some people use open source software like we do 
to run everything on their own cloud, but we did not develop the model layer, the base layer. We apply it to gaming. Right. Gotcha. I think that's a key element here. And something to kind of break down, like where does the business value accrue, right? If you, if you listen to like kind of the all-in podcast, they say, you know, all the value is really going to go to like the picks and shovels layer. But I think there's also so much happening at the application layer. That's kind of where you differentiate, right? It's where you kind of like create product and user experiences that I think are like kind of captivating. What are some like value propositions that you guys deliver compared to gaming studio using something like mid-journey kind of directly? If you step back and look at the, the whole ecosystem, most companies, most startups, most vendors, I would say, are still very much tech-centered. Mm-hmm. They look at the tech. The tech is amazing. They really focus on making the tech better for some use cases. I think a better way to look at things is like we have a, we have a use case. The use case in our, in, in our situation is like, of game studios' budget, 40% of the budget of a game goes to content. How can we improve that equation? That's the problem. Make it cheaper, make it faster to build a game, build better games. That's the problem. And then you look back and look at which models, which AI models could solve that answer. And I think that's a much, much better way to develop valuable product than just, oh, we have a that LLM with like 30 billion parameters, let's find a way to solve the gaming, the challenges of gaming. That's why Scenario started, as I described, looking at the problem and first, focusing on the problem first and looking at solutions such as stable diffusion, such as other LLMs that could be mixed and merged together. And that's why we do a vertical integration of different models that will solve game content challenges. I see that yeah. as like really like kind of future-proofing a little bit, right? Because anyone can go and use Midjourney. I like to use it for various creations, but it is kind of just going to create and then that's it. It doesn't actually get you from end to end, especially in the gaming world, from like the original creation to actually like dropping it, editing it, and putting it in the game. I think there's so much to be said around what you mentioned earlier, which is like that IP protection, that kind of like knowing that your data isn't getting used for other people's projects. What do you do to kind of we realize that value and capture that value for your customers in gaming. Yeah. So we solve three issues. So what game studios are looking for, they are looking for one, control and efficiency. Midjourney makes amazing images. It's one of the best models out there. But people tend to share. It's hard to control the style of a Midjourney image. And it's even harder to find your own style in Midjourney because you cannot train custom Midjourneys. So control means productivity. Get to the output you want faster. You have many ways to get there, train your own models, use some reference images, have some very fine tuning of the parameters. Like that's all about control. The second issue we solve is everything around safety or like, is it safe to use scenario for a business? From an IP standpoint, from a copyright standpoint, from a data security standpoint, from like a data content standpoint as well. Because we run everything on AWS with enterprise-grade security, with traceability from A to Z, we can definitely prove and show Game Studio that our process is quite safe versus using a random generator. And the last one, the last aspect that Game Studio wants is all about integration. And Midjourn is not quite integrated today. It's, they're essentially running on Discord. And so you have to find ways to integrate your Discord UI with your existing game engine or workflow or process and so on. So we definitely 
make sure scenario can be fully integrated within game engines, within workflows, and within collaborative teams. Gotcha. I mean, it seems like kind of a really good layer, like a really good place to be at, right? Because you're future-proofed against the models because the, the models you can always replace, like you're not creating the model. So if somebody comes out with a better model tomorrow, you can swap one for the other. It doesn't affect necessarily what your end user is facing, but then you kind of layer in all these enterprise grade security and kind of like control mechanisms. And like, then you actually have something that really can be utilized as more than just like an artist's one-off tool, but like a really foundational piece of the process to making games. Yep, absolutely. Yes. And integration also means integrating different media together. You make an image, you use that image to make a video. You You animate the video with audio that might be AI generated and so on. And you might use the same image to make a 3D model of the same character or object that was on the image in the same style. I think it all comes down to style consistency. That's exactly what game studio care about. Your own art direction is what game studio care about beside gameplay. We touched on this earlier. Is there a core piece like we can dive into around like that IP protection, right? And kind of the, the legal considerations around using generative AI. I know that, you know, Steam recently announced that they wouldn't let studios publish games with AI generated content. And there's this kind of battle yet to be determined around, you know, how do you protect copyright? What can and can't be protected? How do you see that challenge today? Like, how are you working with companies to kind of find that middle ground solution? So we, we chat with a lot of legal teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually when we engage with a game studio, the first team to look at the product are the artists. And the first thing they try to understand is, does it work? Does it make art? Like independently from any other cost or legal consideration? And usually right. the answer is yes. We might have challenges for very specific arts, but usually the answer is yes. Very quickly, the topic transitions to the legal team that, that is looking at TNCs, data policy, privacy policies, and so on. These legal teams are discovering what's going on at the same time as we do, to be honest. But when the legal team realizes It's not about using a model that that everybody is is using, but it's about creating your very own custom AI train on your very own own data. They realize they might be on a safer side than using a non-customized generic generator or image generator. And so that's why the legal, like themselves, the legal team and dozens of them, they consider it's worth going this way versus using the other generic versions. Yeah. It makes total sense. It really, like, I think you're just operationalizing such a big need. And you're like, well, these tools exist, but, you know, we have to be professional about it. And it just seems like top to bottom, that's, it's a huge need to solve. So, so that said, you know, switching gears a little bit, right? So there's the enterprise focus, right? And then there's also like generative AI to bring about user generated content. And there's so much talk today about, well, putting these hands in the tools of like normal gamers, seeing what they come up with. How do you see that opportunity for generative AI for user-generated content? So that's the biggest opportunity of all for us and mm-hmm. for others, but that's the one we're chasing before any other one. It's AI-enabled player-generated content, which might not come first. The first generated content will be done by artists, but artists can also integrate their own models, their own generators in games and let players and users create content that really fits their own art direction. That is UGC, but AI enabled UGC. So UGC is something that most game studios are definitely looking looking for. It's a huge business opportunity. 
But that opportunity requires creators, Roblox creators, Minecraft creators, Fortnite creators now, many other creators. And being a creator requires some skills, whether it's for creating 2D, 3D content, whatever stories, you might not find too many of them. I think they are like, is it 10 or 20 active creators on Roblox-ish? But they're already like hundreds of millions of people using generative AI today. So generative AI lowers the barrier to be a creator. It makes creating easier. And that's why players might use generative AI in the games as long as studio let them use it right with the right consistency, content safety rules, and so on. So I think every single game in the near future will have some AI components. Not every portion of the game will be AI generated. It will start with voices. It will start with NPCs. Then it will keep going with, I don't know, avatars, characters, rewards, quests, monsters, levels, and like, and so on and so forth. And it will come like, it will make infinitely growing, like games that grow infinitely. Right. Yeah. And I also think, I mean, you touched on this too, like it's kind of the bigger market opportunity, right? Like you can either go after, we'll call it a thousand studios making games today, the, the five to 10 million professional creators, you know, or you could target anyone who's a gamer, right? And, you know, that's billions of gamers. Now you give these people the, the tools and they can be a creator within like the sandbox of the guardrails that you put on. Yes. I mean, we'll do both because we cannot expect every one of the like two or three billion gamers on earth to start making content in the game and they will only be able to make content if the game creator the game studio let them create that content and so that's why the first step the first stage of the rocket is to make sure studios control the ai and feel confident enough about that ai to bring these capabilities within the games let players create their own avatars visuals and so on and it's not just one studio, like many, many others are looking in the same directions, same direction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I personally speak to a lot of those type companies, like as a Web3 fund in particular, we look a lot at Web3 gaming and like the concept of player ownership, truly owning whatever asset that you either create or buy in games. Now that the players can create them themselves with these tools, they can also own it. And, you know, on that note, speaking to our kind of Web3 audience, what have you been seeing in Web3 gaming? as kind of like sitting in the middle of the ecosystem? I've seen Web3 Gaming as being the most active niche or the most active category of the markets investigating and adopting Gen AI. We usually split the market in three categories, the AAA, AA studios that are usually pretty large. Then you have all the mobile, casual gaming side of things. And then I, we identify Web3 as a section in itself. And the Web3 game studios are typically the most innovative. They take risks. I mean, come on, they are using Web3, which is not a, a, it's quite controversial still in gaming these days. Also, they might not always require the same quality of content as AAA studio needs. And Gen AI today might not be able to generate content that is like that at the level of AAA game arts. The first real at scale example of Gen AI in games might come from Web3 for these reasons. More innovation, more risk, lower quality than like super advanced uh, 3D modeling. And yeah, giving the users, the players ownership over what they create. 
it's really the right place where the incentives are aligned, right? Of like, you know, as a Web3 gamer, like, you know, the whole concept is that you're owning, you know, a piece of the game. And so when you're creating it and you're owning it, it's like, now I can stand to benefit from it. So it's like these UGC tools, I can see why Web3 gamers like and studios go for it. Because it's like, they really fully understand that ethos of like, you are a creator. These are the tools we can give you. And now like, go make your own of it. Yeah. What's new is studios should expect a potential abundance of content to be created, which was not the case in 2021, I would say, because yeah, you had some like, you know, NFT projects that could do some procedural generation of, uh, you know, for series, but it was always within a certain, I would say, area. Right now with Gen AI, you break the barrier. And so there will be a huge abundance of content to be made, to be minted, to be uh, transacted, maybe to be owned. Yeah. On that note, like, what do you see as like the future of like personalized experiences? Because there's a lot being said right now about how generative AI and these models can be kind of personalized. So what do you think it like what that will mean in gaming, like having a personalized experience based on like your own user profile? Yeah. I mean, you could mod, you could potentially mod entire games in no time just by, let's say, applying a style made by a generator, made by a custom model, you apply a style to a set of assets. And therefore, like studios might be interested to completely customize experiences by just converting games into new games just by applying a style, if that makes sense. New seasons, new campaigns, new geographies, uh, localizations would get much easier. That's one example. But then you could go above just the existing set of assets by creating variants that are still close enough to the initial sets, but new enough for users to enjoy something new. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm so excited. I think there's just so many ways this can like grow. You know, we're really at like kind of the precipice of something big, like kind of a big disruption. I guess, my, you know, my question on that is how do you make sense of this all as it comes to your roadmap? Like, what are you building for next? You know, what's the next two, three years look like? What are you prioritizing? The disruption is huge. And let me tell you, before speaking about two, three years, what the like five, 10 years might look like, because that's very exciting. Yeah. When the games will completely rely on engines that will generate every pixel versus rendering every pixel. Today, the, the main engines on the market are Unity and Unreal. A few other ones, uh, but these are the main ones. They rely on like physics and how to render different objects together. Positioning, lighting, how these pre-existing 3D models appear on a 2D monitor. That's what these engines do, right? Mm -hmm. In the future, and I think that's a quote from the NVIDIA CEO, these pixels showing up on any game PC will not come from a rendering of a 3D model. They will be live, live generated, AI generated at runtime. And I think that is a huge technical revolution that will completely change how games can be played, built, evolved, and so on. We might not be there yet. It's like it's a profound way to change how games will be built. So right now, what we focus on is, uh, you know, consistent fast, cheap 2D generation, consistent and high quality 2D to 3D conversion, consistent video creation without like weird, like Kenny feeling, hands that have five fingers and not six fingers. That's what we solve one by one, as long as it's style consistent. Wow. I mean, so I just want to unpack that because I think you're so right, like what this means for the future of gaming. So 
in the five to 10 year timeline, what you're saying is basically that like, instead of having a game creator create every object in a universe and all a user does is kind of go and explore that and render it, you're saying that basically what they do is like create experiences and define roughly what would be generated as a certain aspect. But until like a user actually interacts with it, it doesn't get generated. It would then be populated by the engine that like creates the experience as you go. Yes, it's a crazy vision. So the game creator will be an AI model creator. Of course, I mean, art is still part of the game. Like you train a model based on some piece of art. And how much art will will be required is still unknown. Do you need like 10, 20, 100, a thousand, a million pictures? Nobody really knows in advance. Uh, Right now, you can can make models with 10, 20, 10, 10, 20, 100, a thousand, a million pictures. There will be different models. But how models will be trained in the future is still uh, pretty unknown. What I know is there will be millions of them. They will be run in the cloud, that's for sure, because it's very convenient, but they might also run on the device as well. Like edge computing, like every phone might run a large language models when every phone will be powerful enough with the right chips and GPUs and so on. That That's very exciting as well. Definitely, definitely. And I, you know, you can already like see the need in it. Games that are coming out today, I think No Man's Sky was a good example, or like Starfield is kind of a, a newer one, right? Where they kind of like talk about how big the universe is and then, you know, how big the storylines can be and how expansive it is. But then you get there and you're like, there's not much going on here. You know, this is just kind of like another planet that's kind of generic. It kind of goes back to your point, like the bricks, where it's like, this is more of the same, like it's more of the bricks versus like, no, actually we're creating universes as we go that are like infinitely deep and rich. Like that is going to be such a paradigm shift. Yep. The first step before that paradigm shift arrives happens is, um, Game creators will expand the amount of bricks and assets right. in a game by using us, by using Gen AI to pre-create these elements. So a game, instead of having maybe a thousand assets, visual assets, maybe a game, the same game will have 10,000 of them for the same price, for the same cost. And maybe it will done even like 2x faster. That's going to be the first step. And then these bricks will be made in the game once the creator, once the game studio is confident enough that it will be consistent, fast, and enjoyable for the player. Right. I mean, wow. There's so much coming down the pipe. It's, it's such a pleasure to speak to you. Get inside you know, your head on like what you're seeing. Zooming out a little bit, right? I, I think this is big. Like This is a paradigm shift, you know, if, if, it, if it is what it purports to be. And like, are there any historical precedents that you think kind of like maps to the rise of generative AI. What's the time period? Like, what's the analogy to study to like understand how this might play out? The, my favorite one is the printing press. Mm-hmm. Also, like ChatGPT is printing live new content. The printing press was also printing content much much faster than the, the monks that, that right. were copying books. But the printing press, besides being a pretty amazing piece of technology, also led to profound changes for the society as a whole. The printing press led to the Renaissance and um, enlightenment. I'm an optimist, you know, optimistic. So I believe the same sort of a Renaissance can also be a new Renaissance can be triggered by generative AI. As long as, of course, people learn how to use it, as long as it's properly not controlled, but more like shared across many different part of the society, countries, continents, and so on. Other similar, you know, revolutions could be just writing. Like, look, look, before 
every piece of information was verbal and then information became physical, right? In books. Then books could be multiplied much faster with the printing press. And then that multiplication got rid of the physical limits by going digital. Right. And that's the microprocessor. And that's internet where you could copy all that information. And now it's not just about copying the information. It's like synthesizing new information. You could feel the excitement, which, uh, which yeah. I have, which is shared across so many founders and users. And it's not even startups. Like large companies are fairly, fairly um, active and they're, they're going very hard integrating generative AI as well. Yeah. Okay. I so follow you that. And we're optimists as well. Like, you know, especially in the world of gaming, it's kind of like this pure good, right? What people game because it's fun. It's hard to necessarily go so awry on that. But there's this other half of the discourse with Elon Musk and regulators talking about how AI could go wrong. And maybe just outside the context of gaming, I think gaming is kind of a safe space. But like, what do they mean by that? Like, where does generative AI start to like go wrong? Like, how did, you know, maybe in the printing press world, like, you know, what were the bad things that happened then? And what could we expect today? Like, what were the equivalents? So any technology can go wrong. Honestly, any technology, like name one, there are always two sides of any technology. Being able to forge iron objects is amazing, but it led to weapons and all the way to the nuclear energy. I'm not sure we can compare AI to a nuclear threat. We definitely can see how AI could be used wrong, but it's no different than the internet being used by the wrong person as well. So there will be ways to not control, but have some sort of oversight of what people do with AI. The same way there is an oversight on the internet, on nuclear and many other technologies. I don't think it makes sense to have that vision where AI will doom the world. And I'm a huge advocate for open source models, open source AI, because that's how you give a huge opportunity to entire part of the society, countries, continents, to build stuff that they might not be able to build if it's only closed models that are only owned and controlled and regulated by a few. So that's not a future I'm excited about, like an, a future where AI is only controlled by a few. Nobody's excited by internet being controlled by a few, right? No. The same analogy applies to AI as well. Yeah. You know, I think oftentimes, this is a great point, and I think about it in terms of like this awesome quote, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant. And, you know, I think that the more it's out there and the more people are talking about it, I think the more we can be smart about it. And what really scares me is like trying to control it and to put a cap on it, right? And you think about the internet and like who's really put a cap on it, the CCP and the Chinese firewall that they've built to like limit people's exposure to thoughts and ideas I think that's probably the greatest risk, right? And centralizing this power, you start to corrupt the kind of good nature of it by those who can control it absolutely and authoritarianly versus like by, you know, open source models and kind of building the open, you can have these honest conversations. And I think like really put some guardrails on, on like the power of this technology. Yeah. And why would be a super AI evil? Why wouldn't be a, a super AI good, right? Like why assume that a great AI, an AGI, why assume that AGI should want our doom? Right. Like maybe a great AGI will want our good. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it's not worth debating. It's definitely worth discussing. Mm. But the overreaction that politicians might also overreact to, that's not a great way to uh, have a, a peaceful debate and move forward in the best, in the smartest way together. Yeah. 
No, well said. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad it's CEOs like yourself who are building on this forefront, right? I think you'll have a lot to say and, you know, be in the public discourse around this. So it's great to know that people like yourselves are thinking like-mindedly because it'll be you who ultimately makes these decisions and kind of like finds it out in the market. Let's not forget, by the way, gaming was also at the forefront of so many other innovations. So gaming was often used to discover new technologies and new use cases that now are being used for education, for training, besides just video gaming. So it's it's possible that the way gaming uses Gen AI might be adopted by other industries. That's what the metaverse rights is about. Uh, some people see the metaverse as just gaming and others see the metaverse as a much, much more holistic digital space where it's not just about entertainment. I mean, Gen AI could have the same trajectory. I completely agree. Just to wrap this up, to put a bow on it, I always like to ask kind of the final question, which is just open mic to you. What would you like to say, kind of final messages, anything we didn't cover to either builders in this space, investors or game studios, what would like you like to be kind of the, the takeaway from what you're building on with Scenario? The takeaway is expect lightning fast changes, whether it's for investors, for builders and for customers. Nobody's prepared for the pace at which things are changing at the moment. Even myself, I'm on Twitter, I'm on social media. I see a lot of news. I'm really having a, a hard time catching up with the news that feeling is shared by so many other founders, maybe investors, and I guess customers. So we're definitely, we've hit some like exponential curve. And as you know, exponential always go, you know, faster and faster, exponential. And so that's what everyone should have in mind. And human brains, we are not wired for dealing with exponentials. So that's what I would say. And I would say as well, we might sometimes overemphasize the impact of a technology on the short term and right. underestimate impact on the long term. That's a pretty well-known you know, law. I think it's Amara's law. I think, I think it applies to Gen AI. There is hype. People expect a lot from Gen AI, especially on mid-journey, you get some amazing images like in the snap of a finger, but eventually to get to the right output you need, it might take much longer. So you know, expectations have to be managed, but on, on the long term, I think we underestimate how much Gen AI can be... Uh, a revolution for the entire tech industry and uh, you know society as a whole. Yeah, I mean, you're so right. It is moving so fast. And it's, I think, conversations like these that really drive clarity. Like, I, I think it's such a pleasure to talk to you who's building on the forefront of this because it's clear you, you have such an, like, a great sense of where the market's at today, what's the next two, three years, and then kind of the big vision. So, you know, really appreciate you coming on to the podcast and, you know, kind of sharing that clarity with us. So again, thanks so much for having us. It's been a pleasure to chat. Looking forward to seeing how far you go. Pleasure was mine. Thanks for having me. Soon. All right. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to Blockchain for the Billions. If you found this episode valuable, please consider sharing it with someone who could benefit or give it a shout out on your social platforms. To stay updated on the latest insights from Decasonic, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter, which you can find in the show notes. Thank you for your support. Chat in the next episode.